All right, so we are on week five, I believe it is, of this series called Unexpected. So like we said earlier, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Um, but you're, this is a cool part of the series to jump into because we're closing it. After this, we are done. Uh, but Unexpected was just a series that we looked at different miracles that Jesus did throughout his ministry here and just with his disciples. And uh, we're going to have some fun today just as we dive into this one. But before we dive in, I have a question for you. And the question goes like this. Have you ever had a hard time trusting something with your well-being? Wow, okay, all right, four people. So have you ever had a hard time trusting something with your well-being? I'm going to tell you a story about me. Uh, my in-laws, I remember one of the first time I was at their house, they have like a pool or like a, not a pool, it's like a swimming pond um, filtered like a pool. And uh, anyway, they have like this deck up top and they have the trampoline, you know, like the little round trampolines. And so they had one up there and they said, yeah, one of the things that a lot of people like to do is either like the rope swing, you jump off the rope swing into the pond, or you can just run off the deck, jump onto the trampoline and jump right in. It's like a 10-foot, 12-foot drop. I went, sweet, that'd be fun. Let me see it. So I put my suit on and, you know, got ready to get in the water and I'm up on the deck and I'm looking at it and I see the trampoline and first of all, it's tiny. Second of all, I'm noticing some things that concern me like the dry rot or like the rusted out springs. And so I just turned to my future father-in-law at the time and I went, um, it's not, I'm going to break it. I don't know how else to break that to you. I'm going to break your trampoline. And he went, no, dude, you have no idea how many hundreds of people jump off that thing every year. It's totally fine. It's totally good. You have nothing to worry about. And I'm standing here and I'm looking at it and I'm going, this isn't like a personal thing. This is like a physics thing. Like I, I know me, I know how much I weigh and past experience instructs me not to jump on that. And he went, trust me, you're going to be so fine. It's going to be awesome. And I went, well, it's your trampoline. And so I turned around and I got to the back of the deck and I went, all right, here we go. And you know, he's watching and my wife's watching and you know, family and whatnot. And so I run up and I do one big jump and I land on that thing and springs went flying everywhere. J fell in the pond. I like did this awkward, you know, fall. Cause what am I, I can't stop inertia, right? So I just fall into the pond, you know, and I like, remember like kind of emerging up out of the water and I see his face who's sitting there like, hmm. and I went, I'm not paying for that thing <laughs> because I told you as I'm pulling like four springs out of my leg. Back to the question, have you ever had to trust something with your well-being that just doesn't make sense to you? Uh, maybe, that, wow, you are awake. Love it. You guys are just excited. Have you ever had to trust something like that? Maybe, maybe that's like a medical procedure. Maybe that's like a, a, a parent child relationship, like just trust your dad, trust your mom, I got you covered. Maybe that's like a, a decision, like, okay, here I go, I'm going off to college, or I'm taking a new job, or something like that. Uh, I'm trusting something with my well-being that, in my mind, it doesn't make sense, right? For you parents who have students that are graduating this year, it's like, oh, man, I'm letting my baby go, uh, trusting a college to take care of them, right? Anxiety, right? Some of you are like, boom, get them out, we're done, we're moving on. That was my parents. I don't know what I did. But anyway, if you have your Bible, open up your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus is traveling around with his disciples. And just like we talked about, Jesus has done different miracles. 
He is teaching his disciples and those who follow him about the kingdom of God. So the setting in which we're going to is Israel. We're going particularly to the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is 1% the size of Lake Erie, if that gives you like an idea. So it's not like a great lake. Uh, it's a smaller lake, but it's an important lake. And I'll tell you why. But a couple pictures just to show you. I mean, super blue lake. It's no deeper than 200 feet at its deepest level. But there's mountains that surround most of the lake. There's some plains and like farmland type, but there's mountains that surround it. And so crowds and people are following Jesus and they're just excited to learn and they're excited to grow. But they think that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been promised. And so the Messiah in their minds was uh, Messiah's coming and he's going to put us in charge and we're going to be the boss and we're going to kick the Romans out. And we're, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be the aggressor for once and not like the one who gets taken advantage of the victim. We're going to be in charge. And Jesus said over and over and over, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to bring in a kingdom of God that you guys can't see, but it's so different and it's upside down. So anyway, he draws this crowd of a couple thousand people. It's getting towards dinner time and people get hungry, right? Dinner time. People are hungry. And so here's what happens or here's what happens in the text. Matthew 14, verse 22. It goes like this. I'm going to read it for you. Matthew 14, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. So Jesus feeds, here's a miracle, feeds 5,000 men plus their wives, plus their kids, plus the neighbor down the street, plus all of them, feeds all of them. Right after he does it, he puts the disciples in a boat, go on ahead of them to the other side. Well, he dismissed them. So he said, all right, you've been fed. We have extra. Go home. So after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to do what? To pray. And I just I want to pause there and not miss that, that Jesus, it's so important to him to sneak away, to get away so that he can be one-on-one -on -one with his father. So Jesus sneaks away. He's praying. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, Buffeted by the waves, not buffeted, for those of you that are already thinking lunch, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So it's not a big lake. As you could see from the pictures, I mean, you can stand in a place where you can see the entire lake. So this isn't in the text. I'm not going to read into this, but I wonder if Jesus could see the boat. Like just as he's praying and he's up spending time with his father and he's, he could see the, I just wonder if he could see it because here's the disciples, they were put in the boat and they start getting halfway there, right? And they're going, but all of a sudden the wind picks up and the wind is really important in this passage because the wind speaks to something that most of us wouldn't know. But in this culture, the Sea of Galilee had a reputation. And the reputation was that it would stir up and change and kick waves up and kick a storm up very quickly because of the mountain systems that go all the way around it. So fishermen were well aware that the Sea of Galilee could be very treacherous if you get caught out on open water when one of those storms rolls in. So that's what we're starting to see happen. The wind picks up, the storm begins to roll in, and the waves are so much so that it's preventing the boat from getting to the other side. Here's my question. Have you ever experienced a season or a time or a situation in your life that you were stuck or that you couldn't move forward? Because remember, Jesus is not with the disciples. 
They're just all in a boat together and they're moving forward and something outside of their control, something that, that's just exterior, not part of them, not anything, is preventing them from doing the very thing that Jesus told them to do. Just go to the other side. How did you respond in that type of situation? Is your go-to control and grab and hold on and, and, you know, just manipulate or change or do whatever? Is your go-to, like, to go passive? I'm, I'm just going to ride it out. I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just going to whatever. Uh, what's your response when you're moving a particular direction, maybe even a direction that you feel like God is leading you to? What is your typical response when you meet resistance in a significant way? Let's keep reading. Matthew 14, verse 25 says this, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Doesn't that strike anybody else as interesting? Maybe at the least. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, hello, they were terrified. I think we often, we have like a disadvantage sometimes of looking back at stories because we go, oh, I know the story about Jesus walking on the lake. But you don't, think about it. For those of you that are hitting the lake today or Facebook Live, hi everybody. Those of you on the lake, I'm betting you're not seeing anybody walking around on the lake. Right? So this is different. And they would notice, but it's in the middle of the storm. They fear for their lives. They're wondering, because this, this sea gets rough. And it was known for capsizing boats, and you would drown. And so they think it's a ghost. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Of course they did. Here's the other significance of the sea is water in, like, Old Testament and New Testament. And water was known as, like, being a place of chaos, there was no order. There was no structure. Just water, it, where there was water, it was just known as like the abyss. It's just, you, you can't control it. And it often, I mean, it's, it's just, it's scary. You think about seasons of life, maybe, that feel like the abyss. It's just out of control and you can't control it and nothing brings structure. And this is where they're living. But now, as they're experiencing the storm, this metaphor of water also becomes their reality. And I love this too, that in Genesis, very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, it says the earth was formless and empty. It was void. There was, there was nothing there. But it said the Spirit of God hovered above the what? The water. Just like what we're seeing here in this story. That God is above the storm, above the water, where there's chaos, where there's doubt, where there's fear. Here is Jesus walking right on top of it. So let's keep reading. Um, actually, I want to show you this picture just because I thought it was a cool picture and I found it. This is the most realistic thing I could find. Cool, right? Scary if you're there though, correct? Like alarming. So anyway, we're going to go to the next one. Matthew 14, verse 27. Uh, but Jesus immediately said to them, because they're scared, right? One guy's pale in water going, I knew we should have walked. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So Peter, my favorite disciple, who's often known for just saying stuff and then regretting it immediately after, says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. The logic of this bothers me. 
I don't know if it does for you, but you just go, if it's not Jesus, just for fun, what do you say? Come, and then whoop. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, come on, buddy. But I want you to think about this too. Do you know this wasn't the first storm that the disciples went through with Jesus in a boat? That just a couple chapters earlier, the disciples are in a boat and the waves get stirred up just like, the, like it's a normal thing. Waves get stirred up and they're crashing overboard and people are freaking out and the disciples, they fear for their lives. And what was Jesus doing? He was taking a nap. And so they wake him up and they go, teacher, do you want us to die? And he goes, nah. rebukes the wind, rebukes the wave, said, stop it. And it all goes calm. Peter although the logic's a little flawed, is drawing on his experience. So I, I remember that wasn't that long ago that you had power over the storm. If it's you, tell me to come to you. You just wonder if Peter even knows his voice. So Peter gets out of the boat. 14 verse 29. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Wow. I bet the rest of them did not see that coming. <laughs> right? I mean, you just imagine my son, Judah, he's seven months, and he's just starting to figure out the crawl thing, but it's like the ugliest, like, starfish and flip and roll, and there's not a lot of crawling that's taking place, but there's movement. You just wonder, like, Jesus and watching Peter, like, get out of the boat. I mean, there's no way he was, like, just, you know, gymnast, like, ta-da, ta-da. Like, look at it. It, it. He's walking, and it's scary, but his eyes are so locked on Jesus, he's not even aware of the miracle that's happening right now. And he's just walking. But then something happens. Peter's vision changes direction. Verse 30. Verse 30. Verse 30. <laughs> 30? Verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I mean, just imagine the disciples watching this happen, and they're just blown away and mystified by, like, what is happening. And then all of a sudden, Peter looks down and sees this huge wave and gets the spray in his face and sees the wind. And immediately, when his eyes shifted from the person of Jesus, and he looked at his surroundings, and he looked at the chaos, he was afraid, and that fear eroded his faith, and it allowed doubt to take root. And isn't it funny that as soon as doubt takes root and eyes come off of Jesus, he begins to sink, just like so many of us when we hit the storm and we lose sight of Jesus. That all of a sudden, it seems like I'm just drowning. Drowning in debt, drowning in broken relationships, drowning in, drowning in fear, drowning in purpose in my life. All of a sudden, it's just life becomes so far, like, it's just death. That's all I can see. All I can see is the storm. And here's what Peter misses, the miracle that was happening in front of him. 
He was the miracle. So let's keep reading. Matthew 14, verse 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. You know, it's funny, those four words, it's actually just one word in Greek. The word doesn't matter. (laughs) And he said, why'd you doubt? The word means a little faith. That's, I remembered it now. So the word means a little faith. And he literally names him little faith. I mean, it's almost like weakling or like, it's just like, yep, tiny faith. It's you, Peter. But that bothers me. Because where's Peter? He's in the water. He's wet. He was walking on the water to Jesus, and his family, as soon as his vision turns, Jesus says, oh, little faith. But I want us to catch something is that look what little faith could accomplish. Is here he is. And he has a little faith. It just disappears very quickly. Wow. Why did Jesus allow this to happen? For Peter and for the rest of the disciples. We're going to read this. Verse 32, it says this. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat did what to Jesus? They worshipped him. They worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Wow. I said this earlier in the series. Maybe you remember it, maybe not. That's okay. Um, If you're hearing this for the first time, Jesus always had a purpose for everything he did. And the purpose of a miracle is so easy. We're going to put it on the screen. The purpose of a miracle is to demonstrate who Jesus is and what he is capable of. The who Jesus is part is here's Jesus walking on the water, casual as can be, coming up to the boat, to the disciples, to these guys that he loves and cares about. Who Jesus is, is he moves towards them and he is over the sea and he is over the wind and he's over the storm and over the problems. He's over all of it. And they recognize Jesus, his identity is God. But then Jesus turns this also and demonstrates as the Son of God what he is capable of. So I just love this. Jesus is discipling his disciples. That's like the deepest thought I have for you, okay? (laughs) Jesus is discipling his disciples, hence the name disciples. Watch this, though. Like, this was our series. This was a number of them that we covered. Uh, when Jesus first started, ministry, like, started his ministry, the first miracle that he did was he turned water into wine. He was at a wedding feast and a wedding celebration, and they ran out of wine, and he comes over, and he turns water into wine, and he teaches his disciples something that they're already familiar with. They already know wine. They already know weddings. They already know what's going on. Like, we understand culture, but Jesus says, hey, when I come in, when I bring my new kingdom, I'm bringing a celebration 
generation, and I'm bringing a new kingdom that you can't even see yet. Then he goes to the next one, the pool of Bethesda. Here's a healing. Here's a guy who's lame, and he's been lame for over 30 years. I mean, just for forever, for his whole life. And Jesus comes in, and he heals him physically as a metaphor to his disciples, saying, I don't even just have the power to heal physically. I can also heal spiritually. That can meet you right where you're at in the brokenness and mire and gunk that's in your heart. I can heal that. And I just want to demonstrate by healing your body. Then he goes on to the next one. Jairus' daughter. These are outsiders. Jairus was not part, he was not a Jew. He wasn't part of the Jewish group. So when Jesus led his disciples to meet Jairus and his daughter, and Jesus healed his daughter, what Jesus was saying is, hey, the in crowd isn't just the in crowd. That the out crowd is soon going to be the in crowd. That I'm changing the rules. Then the next one, the miraculous catch of fish. This is what we talked about last week. Jesus is teaching some disciples, Peter, one of them, saying, I know you get fishing. I know you understand it. I know you do it for work. I know you're good at it. I'm going to teach you to do everything you're good at for me and my kingdom. That's what I'm going to do. And he meets him right where he's at. Everything, every miracle Jesus does is a metaphor for a bigger picture and a bigger narrative that's going on. Feeding the 5,000 right before this story, I cannot just feed people physically, but I'm going to feed them spiritually. And now we're at the storm. So one asks or begs the question, why? Do you remember where Jesus told the disciples to go? It wasn't specific. It was just, go to the other side. Get in the boat right now. Don't forget your oar. Go to the other side. And Jesus disappears and he goes up the mountaintop to pray. But the purpose here is Jesus gave them an instruction to go somewhere. And then when the storm came, the storm's job, if you will is to prevent them from doing what Jesus told them to do. That when it not just becomes hard, right? Because hard, you just row harder and faster and you plow through it. But when it becomes impossible, where does their hope lie? Or where does their faith, what does their faith get put into? Because they were all scared. Oh, we're going to die. We're not going to make it. Jesus isn't with us. Jesus is on a mountain. He's uninvolved. He's not here. And so now the storm, losing our eyes, losing our vision or our sight on who Jesus is and what he's capable of and remembering what he told us and instructed us to do, as soon as we lose that vision, all of a sudden our storm is surrounding us and it's impossible to overcome. And isn't it cool that in the midst of the storm, Jesus shows up? Wow. Where are you in your life? Not everybody in here is in the middle of a storm. I don't want to pretend like all of us are. But some of you are. Some of you, it's a bad one. Some of you, it's worse than it's ever been. Maybe, maybe divorce is on the brink. Maybe separation is what's happening. Maybe kids are just being estranged. Maybe you're just doubting you and God in a way that you've never doubted before. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's house. Maybe it's, it's just purpose in life. Some of you are in the middle of a storm, but if it's not you, consider yourself blessed for right now 
But one thing Jesus promises us is he says, I promise you in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That just like this storm is a metaphor for storms of life and when things go bad and when relationships fall apart and when you doubt and have fear, just like that's a metaphor for all of that, I'm also king of the storm. That I'm over it. That I'm in charge of it. That it submits to me. Oh, and by the way, when your eyes are locked on me, it does the same for you. So if you're not in a storm now, write that down because it's a matter of time. What a cool God that we have that doesn't just say, when the storm comes, figure it out. But a God who says, hey, when the storm comes, you just keep looking right here because I have a purpose for you and I'm calling you to something much greater that's so important that you don't yet see yet. So let's keep reading and see what that is. Matthew 14, verse 34, it says this. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. All of a sudden, the purpose for the instruction of Jesus became clear. That Jesus didn't just say, go to the other side so we can go through the storm and you can realize you can trust me and then we can move on. Jesus said, hold on, I want you to go to the other side through the storm, through the waves, through the wind, because there's people on the other side who desperately, desperately need me. And I'm teaching you how to do that. Because there's coming a day when I won't be with you anymore. And now here's something we can understand, right? Because we, we can't see the face of Jesus or, or his body right in front of us. And yet what he discipled his disciples to know and to understand is that you don't need Jesus right next to you, but under the power of the Holy Spirit and keeping your eyes focused on who he was and what he was capable of and what he's called us to, there is nothing that you can't overcome. But here's my calling to you, is to go to the other side, go to the other neighborhood, go across the street or the other classroom or the other whatever, because there are people in every one of our contexts who do not know Jesus people who are enslaved, whether it's sin, whether that's addictions, whether that's doubt, whether that's fear, people that are just ridden with burdens that are just all-consuming, and all they can see is the storm. And what Jesus teaches his disciples to do is the same thing that he teaches us to do, is that despite the storm, I am in charge. And that I'm sending you on a mission, wherever it is you are, is where you have been sent. 
Some of you, you know, it's fun having Steve up here. Some of you, that begins to change at certain points in your faith journey that God goes, okay, I want to steer you this direction and I have a calling for you this way. Or I want to steer you over here and I want to call you this way because there's a group of people that nobody's reaching yet. I just want to ask you, who are the people in your context that don't yet have a relationship with Jesus? And if that's you, if you say, I am the people, welcome. We are so happy that you are here because we believe God has sent us on a mission for you. But I just want you to imagine, for those of you that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, Brian preached a sermon last week. I thought he nailed it about discipleship and what does it mean to make disciples. Can you imagine if your closest friend or family member or neighbor who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, could you imagine what it would be like to sit and worship with them in this room? It'll be impossible for you not to worship because you recognize and realize how good God is. That that experience is why you have been sent. Just love this. So often we just see the storm, but maybe what's happening is a miracle playing out right in front of us. I just want to close with Peter. Um, Peter, fast forward some of Peter's life and journey and relationship with God. Peter, uh, Jesus actually ascends into heaven and leaves his disciples with one instruction, go make more disciples, go do the same thing. And so Peter, little faith, right? Remember like puny faith Peter, that's a horrible name, puny faith Peter. Here's Peter who just often didn't get it right and often was out of line and often just spoke too loud or spoke up, whatever it is. Jesus walked with Peter for a season of three years, teaching him everything he needed to know. This is how you feed my people. This is how you heal my people. This is how you go after my people. This is the authority that you have when things or people or the enemy opposes you. This is how you go after lost people. This is what happens. Peter, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 36, is preaching to a group of people, thousands and thousands and thousands, and this is what he said, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation, a generation consumed with fear, crippled by it, ruled by the storm. Jesus, Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Here's what I want to ask you. Where did Jesus tell you to go? If you don't know, it's a pretty easy answer to find. Look around. 
Where do you live? Where do you work? Who's your friend groups? Who's your family? You just look around. If there are people in your life or in your circles of influence who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, they are who you have been sent for. And just like Peter, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can see miracles happen everywhere. That when the storm seems crushing and weighty and heavy, you get to get out of that boat and you get to walk right on top of it and walk right up to them and say, I want to introduce you to my friend, Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we just pray for hearts that don't know you. God, often we forget that you are Lord of the storm, that everything submits to you, that we're not tossed and blown around by the waves of life or the wind. God, in this world, you promised us we will have trouble. And many of us right now, either we're coming out of trouble or we're heading into trouble or we're right in the middle of trouble and we know it's true. And God, we just pray that you would show up, that you would walk on top of the storm to us. But God, I don't just pray that we would stop there. I pray that you call us out of the boat and that we have the courage and the faith like Peter to obey. God, put on our hearts those whom you love that don't know you in our context. Bring names to mind right now, God. Give us opportunities over the next week just to go out of our way to seize and take advantage of opportunities to share about you and your goodness and who you are and what you are capable of, not just in our lives, but in theirs. God, we pray that you just till the soil that you just get it ready for such a plentiful and bountiful harvest. But we pray that you would send us, God, that you would send us, your disciples, to go out and to go after them. We just love you, Father. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said together, amen.